Hey everybody and welcome back to the Out to Be podcast. It's your host Katie Zaccardi and today my guest is Jason Schurz. Jason is a punk rocker, host of the podcast Scream Therapy, which is a podcast all about punk rock and mental health. So you know we love that. We love our fellow mental health podcasts in the music industry. And he facilitates mental health support groups, does wellness coaching, and is all around a great human being. And today we're going to talk about bipolar disorder. Jason is diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And as a podcast that talks about mental health issues in the music industry, it was really important for me to bring Jason on and have this conversation about bipolar because bipolar isn't something that we have talked about in depth yet. So I'm really excited for you all to hear this conversation. I think it's going to really help you get familiar with bipolar disorder if you're not familiar with it yet, learn a little bit more about it, and plus we talk about general mental health and how we can keep up with ourselves and keep up with our each other and our friends during a time like we've experienced this like, this year, <laughs> during a time like 2020 where we're all virtual and we're not necessarily in our old habits, routines, and seeing people as much as we used to. So I'm really excited to dive into today's episode. Before we do, one final reminder that I have one spot open for my one-on-one out-to-be private coaching program. So this is a six-month program where you are mentored by me, coached by me. It is a business and life coaching program for full-time musicians and or music industry coaches. So if you are a music industry coach and maybe you've done a ton of programs to build your business, but never with a coach who actually is experienced in the music industry, this is the perfect program for you because I know how to build your business And I get the music industry. And if you are a multifaceted musician and you maybe coach and teach or you, uh, you know, have a Patreon and you gig and you do a bunch of things as a full time musician, this is also the program for you. Anyone who works in the music industry is a business owner. And so whatever the exact facets of your business are. This program is going to help you get clear on the business strategy you need to grow, plus the life coaching aspect to help you deal with those mindset blocks that are coming up and that are stopping you even when the strategy is there and make sure that you stay feeling good, feeling motivated, feeling confident as you grow your business and step into the life that you want. So there is one spot available and applications close tonight, September 30th. So head to bit.ly slash out to be coaching to apply today. This is your absolute last chance to potentially grab that final spot. I will not be opening spots up until not until 2021, probably not until March of 2021. So we are looking far out into the future now. There's not going to be another spot open for a while. So if you want to grab this spot and you want to be mentored by me for the next six months, head to bit.ly slash out to be coaching to apply now. Okay, let's go ahead and hop into today's episode. Hey, Jason, and welcome to the Out to Be podcast. Hi, Katie. I am really excited to have you here today. Before we dive in, I'd love to start by having you just share a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, well, my name is Jason Schurz, and I'm a 47-year-old punk rocker. I live in Powell River, BC, which is on the west coast of British Columbia, uh, north of Vancouver. And I've had a pretty interesting few years. I have been involved with punk rock and music my whole life. Got into it when I was a kid and just sort of carried on from there. Was involved with putting on shows and doing record labels and promoting and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, when I became an adult, I I just kept going with it. 
I was never too much of a musician. I was more so on the on the uh, other side of it, the promoting side and and that, that uh, whole area of music. Um, and then I guess later on, I kind of got to the point where I was thinking, well, should I really quote unquote grow up and join the real world? And should I give up all this stuff that I've been doing since I was a kid? And should I, you know, be responsible and all that kind of thing. So I was a music journalist for this whole time. I've been writing about music for about 25 years. So just going at it. And I think I've filed probably 10,000 articles in the, in the, that 25 years. So I've been really, really prolific, but I reached a point where I was just really, really burned out and ended up taking a job at the newspaper here in my hometown. I was the publisher and the editor of that paper. And that was kind of the, the start of my, my downhill slide to a mental breakdown. Uh, but about two years ago, I was in the hospital and was diagnosed bipolar. So since then, it's been a total rebuild and recovery, of course, just trying to get back to what matters to me. And that definitely includes punk rock. So tell us a little bit more about your journey with bipolar. Was this something that you, in retrospect, know or think that you might have been experiencing for a lot of your life and were only recently diagnosed? Or was this something that kind of came on pretty quickly and then you got that diagnosis as soon as it happened? Well, for me, when it happened, I thought I'd never heard the word bipolar in, in the context of a mental illness. You know, you'd heard it as sort of like a slur and stuff like that. Um, but never, I didn't know what it was, for one thing. Um, after being diagnosed, um, I became a really quick expert on it because that's kind of who I am. I like to learn. And so I began reading and doing all the things you're supposed to do. But it's been there for as long as I can remember in retrospect, now that I know what it is. You know, I always thought I was a weirdo. Like, why am I doing these things? This doesn't seem right. Um, why can't I control my impulses? These kinds of things. And, but I just thought I was a weirdo. And then when I got the diagnosis, I'm like, okay, this, this makes a lot of sense now looking back. Yeah. I felt very similar about my diagnosis with anxiety, but I think with anxiety, those symptoms are a little bit more obvious, or I should say talked about, like a lot of people who don't even have anxiety will talk about like, oh, I feel anxious or, oh, I have anxiety right now. But yeah. bipolar, even myself, I'm not as familiar with that. So would you be willing to tell us a little bit about what those things were that you experienced all your life that you didn't know were actually symptoms of bipolar? Yeah, of course. Well, I'll start with a really simple analogy that I've kind of come up with in the last few months. Uh, when I came up with this, it sort of dawned on me that it's, in my mind, it's the perfect way to explain it. So imagine you have an orange and you're eating the orange and it tastes like a regular orange and it tastes fine. It's, it's an orange, right? Um, but then all of a sudden you go manic and that could be over the course of days, weeks, months. And all of a sudden that orange is just the best thing you've ever had. It's like amazing. It's a godsend. It's going to change your life and it just tastes so amazing. Um, but then, you know, a week or a month or a few days later, you're depressed. And at that point, the urge just tastes disgusting. It's just the worst thing ever and you want to throw it in the garbage. So that's, that's really how bipolar works. There's, there's, well, that's why it's called bipolar. It's the polar opposites. The depression gets really, really deep and low like a, like a clinical depression gets for some folks. And then the manic side, you go really, really high. And so you're trying to balance yourself in the middle somewhere, but that's a really hard slog sometimes. Um, as far as what happened in the past, I mean, I was doing all kinds of problematic behavior, uh, whether it was related to punk rock and being self-destructive in bands, uh, a form of self-harm, really. 
uh, or whether it was just working, you know, around the clock, not sleeping, getting more and more manic, um, being really rambunctious and getting into trouble. And, and for some folks that, you know, it goes to the point where they're hospitalized or they're, you know, they're on top of a bridge or something, or they're running naked through the streets. Um, luckily, I never really got to that point, although I had one psychotic break before I went to the hospital. How did you see this affecting you and your music career? You mentioned that you're a journalist and that you've played in bands and it affected that. And the reason I asked too is because I think for anybody listening who might experience this and isn't diagnosed or just wants to be mindful of people who might be bipolar and what to kind of expect from that, how did it affect you and your music career? Well, with the music journalism stuff, you know, I mentioned filing 10,000 articles-ish in the last 25 years. So obviously very, very busy doing that. That required me to stay up pretty much, you know, all night um, for months or weeks. Or um, When I crashed and went into depression, which of course back then I didn't really know what that meant, mm-hmm. I thought that I was sick. So I thought that, you know, I was just down and out. I was hit with this truck, uh, some sort of a bad flu or whatever it was, which, you know, rarely it actually was. It was just depression. And right. at that point, I couldn't really do the the work that I was doing, you know, the everything that I planned. So I, I did lots of show promoting, right? Everything that I planned, I had this huge sense of dread after I planned it. Um, it would sometimes it would take, like I said, days or weeks, but it got to the point where I was just like so torn up about it that I would just sweat it out for so long. And then of course, when the moods changed, then I was all stoked. I'm like, yeah, this show's coming up. It's going to be amazing. So it's really, it's like living... I mean, I hate to say Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but it, it is like living two different lives sometimes, you know, and your brain will tell my brain, not your brain. <laughs> it's important that we use eye language, right? But uh, my brain tells me that, you know, on this hand, um, you know, everything's going to be fine and it's going to be great. But on their hand, it's going to be horrible. And so you're constantly sort of juggling these two, these two polar opposites. And then you're just hoping that you're going to be somewhere in the middle once the things actually come along because you don't want to be either side if you have to put on a show or you have to be responsible, right? Yeah, I can't even imagine how difficult that would be, especially if you don't know what's going on or why it's happening. Like I, again, for me, having the uh, diagnosis of anxiety was a huge game changer because then I could actually see and begin to notice what am I looking out for? What are some of the symptoms that are happening? What are some of the triggers that are happening? And what can I do that helps me manage it? Um, I don't know. Did you find the diagnosis for you also made a difference in being able to actually start to work through these things and work through the highs and the lows? Yeah, it's kind of a difficult question because the diagnosis definitely helped me in the sense that I realized what was going on. But unfortunately, the psychotic break changed my brain chemistry. So I went from having this, you know, this bipolar symptoms through my whole life, not really knowing what was going on, and then all of a sudden being diagnosed, which is good because then I knew what was going on. But unfortunately, the, the psychosis changed my brain and almost like a head, head injury. Um, so now my cycles and my symptoms are a lot stronger than they ever were before. So that's, that's kind of the unfortunate part. But, you know, it was good to have a diagnosis and to know. And, you know, I probably would have gone on to, done, to have done something really awful or hurt myself in some way that uh, it was really good to be stopped in my tracks by this mental break and, and sort of have to uh, assess what was going on. 
after diagnosis, after this break, psychotic break, what are the things that have since then helped you be able to work with your bipolar and be in the recovery process? Oh, all kinds of things. Medication's a big one. Therapy, behavioral therapy, talk therapy. Those are the basics, I think, of, of, of starting your recovery. Definitely changing my lifestyle, you know, settling down. The medication helps with that because it does, it does sort of ease the, the hyperactivity I had before, you know. Um, but like you, uh, I think you do a lot of the health coaching stuff and you, you talk about, um, I saw on your website about things like settling down and having sleep routines and, you know, having all these good routines to keep well. And I definitely partake in some of those things. Um, you know, part of the issue though, is just that sometimes it's hard to really do the things if you're feeling so uh, in such a mood episode, right? So for instance, I've been depressed now. I'm coming out of it now, but for the last few days, I've been really, really depressed. So of course you're crying and you're feeling heavy and you can't go to the bed and you know, all those things that kind of impede you from doing the things that could actually help. Um, I'm good about getting up and going for walks and stuff. That's one of my main, uh, I'm really proud about that because I go for long hikes and whatnot, but there's only so much you can do sometimes if you're feeling really uh, at the end of each spectrum. Yeah, that's a really good point. So what tips, if any, would you have for anyone who might be experiencing this um, or just being in a depressive cycle as well, thinking like, okay, I, I have my normal routine, but I don't want to do it right now. What is something that keeps you going and that keeps you motivated to even when things feel really, really, really hard to do like one thing for yourself? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've never been the kind of person that uh, wants to lay around all day. That's that, that helps me. Um, I mean, not to, not to lessen anybody else's experience, but I do know some folks who are unable to get out of bed for long periods and I've not been that person. Uh, luckily, you know, um, I've been able to get up and do the things. Uh, part of the, my issue is that I have this huge sense of dread around, you know, oh, what should I be doing right now? And I have a hard time when I'm depressed to actually motivate myself. Whereas if someone else texts me or contacts me and wants to do something, it's really strange because I'll just jump up and I'll be like, oh, yeah, let's do this. It gives me that sort of jump start, right? So I would say the biggest tip I could give to people is to reach out, you know, and to have folks on your, on your team that know that if they haven't heard from you for a little while to make sure they check in and, and, you know, can we go for a walk? Those kinds of things are huge because if you're on your own and you feel like you're on, on your own, then imagine how, how much more you feel that way if you're depressed. That to me is the huge thing is it's definitely helped me. I mean, only, I only have like maybe five or six really good friends that will do that and family of course, but that's all you need. Right. And I mean, friendship is huge, but it doesn't have to be like, thousands and thousands of friends. I think that's part of the big thing about uh, social media is it's trained people to think that they have these thousands of friends when really they just need to have four or five really solid ones. Yeah, such a good point. And I think especially as we're, you know, we experienced this COVID-19 pandemic where everyone was inside. I, I don't know. I've seen a few posts and just like people commenting about how some people are talking to their friends so much more now, whether it's over text or, you know, FaceTime or whatnot. And some people are just like, well, I am kind of acknowledging here that I haven't really checked up on my friends, but they haven't really checked up on me either. And so for me, the whole lesson that we've experienced now, and especially with what you said is that 
it can be really helpful to also just let your friends know what you need. Like we all want to be the good person who checks up on people all the time when you haven't heard from someone um, on every single person you know or every single friend you know, and we all want to be checked up on from our friends. But sometimes people get caught up in their own shit. And I find that if you can be very vocal about what it is you need and literally explicitly saying, hey, if you don't hear from me, please check up on me. Or, hey, I will check up on you if I don't hear from you. Does that sound good? That just conversation, like one conversation, can make a really big difference too in knowing that you will be supported and you will have your friends there to support you if you need it. And I know it sounds really silly because I think a lot of times we expect people to do this, but something I've learned really is just like be upfront about what you need. And sometimes you don't know what you need and you might be able to just express that as well. But if you're able and you know that, Hey, I can't do it for myself, but if my friend texts me, I will get up and do it. Tell your friend that so that they can help you out wherever they can. Yeah, totally. But at the same time, be able to reach out to them because that's important as well. You know, it, you have to be able to have the strength and, and maybe if you know, you're really depressed and you can't feel like you can do um, heavier things like a, like a big walk or, or yoga or whatever, then you know, the one thing you can do is to, to reach out to friends. And I saw this film about depression one time. It's like a short animated film. And this one part just crushed me. It was this person that was texting to a friend and then before they sent send, they just erased the text. Mm. you know and that I've done that I've done that myself where I've typed in a thing and I want to reach out but I just I don't know if I'm afraid of rejection or afraid that they're going to think that I'm weak or something so I just erased the text and that that just that was just really hard for me to see you know very effective I'm curious what do you think would help with that is it just having more open conversations with our friends and you know, like pointing out almost like, hey, sometimes I want to reach out in these times, but I just don't want to impose on you. Or is it helpful as a friend to be able to say, um, don't be afraid to text me whenever. And I ask this knowing too, that I've had friends with depression. And sometimes I genuinely don't know uh, what, how I can best show up for them. Um, like I've never really experienced depression, except maybe one short period in my life, but not recently. And so I think it can be hard to know how to show up for a friend and how to make sure that even if your friend wants to reach out, but they're not reaching out, you can still be there for them and make sure they know that you are there for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's a tricky one. You know, there's stigma, there's stigma, you know, some people, there's only a few folks that I can really feel comfortable around, like fully comfortable. Uh, And by few, I mean, let's say 10, right. Including family. Um, but there's also self-stigmatization. So basically you're, you're, you're telling yourself that you're um, lesser or weak or, or you know, whatever you want to say that's bad about yourself. And so you're kind of me. I mean, this is how I, I feel about it. I almost just, uh, I'm, I'm afraid that if, I guess that if I'm reaching out to folks, uh, I'm just kind of a loser, right? And, and that's, that's also the depression talking, right? So there's so many things that come up when you're depressed that um, with the bipolar, especially because you're so torn between, you know, what you feel one week versus what you feel the next. Right. And they're totally opposite. Like, like I said about the orange, right. 
I mean, I could think I'm a total loser one week and then the next week I could think I'm the best person on earth. And then the in-between is kind of like, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty solid or I'm a good person or whatever goes in between. Right. So yeah, it's, it's about, it's about feeling like you can get over that hump of, of negative self-talk and, you know, reaching out, knowing that the folks on the other side aren't going to judge you that they're your friends, your family, they love you. Right. And so if you can get past that, that sort of mental hump of, of, you know, they are your, your people, then it's fine, but that's the hard hump to get over. So like you said, if they can be reaching out to you and re, you know, reassuring you, um, giving you validation, that helps a lot. So how to get them that message is a tough one. I mean, you could write them some sort of a, like, I've got like a safety plan, right. That I could hand to somebody and say, Hey, look, when I'm, when I disappear for five days, this is what you do. Or yeah. if I'm calling you and I'm talking all weird about things and I'm going to, you know, tour across Canada with a band and which band, you know, like the band doesn't even exist or, you know what I mean? So yeah. all those things kind of um, can kind of trigger people to realize, Oh, wait a second. He's, he needs some, some support or, or he's in trouble, right? Whatever it is. I'm thinking back to the time that I was kind of referring to earlier about where I had a friend who has depression and she was in a particularly bad time. And separately, I was also going through my own shit. And I remember having a couple conversations with her where it was just like, this isn't our friendship. Like what's happening here? Like we were both not able to communicate clearly to each other about how we were feeling about anything because we were both in such bad places at the same time. But it's only in retrospect that I could even realize like, oh my gosh, she was going through like a depressive period. Like she was not, like I was so caught up in my own self that I couldn't even at the time see that she was struggling. I just thought like, what the heck is going on right now? I was like, something is weird, but I don't know what's happening. And I was taking it all really personally. So it's not to undermine what I was also going through, but it is to say that I think what's changed since then is that I've personally done my own personal development work and work with the stuff I am and was going through, including anxiety. And so it's just another reminder that the more that you can work on yourself, the better able you're going to be to help others. Because I know now if that happened, I would have so much more clarity on the situation and be able to be there for her in a much better way. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I was just thinking about, you know, if you could have two really good friends that you could call on, one of them being someone who doesn't necessarily uh, know too much about mental health issues, but is a really positive person, right? So you can go on a walk with them. They can talk about music or uh, art or sports or whatever the topic is or or a combination of all those, but they're not going to get too heavy and you're not going to get too heavy on them. It's just a really pleasant um, exchange, right? But then also have another friend who you trust who is dealing with something maybe not exactly the same thing or, or the same diagnosis, but has some sort of a mental illness and you can go out with them and you can really talk candidly and openly about your, your struggles and how are you living with these different conditions. And that is very valuable as well because you don't have to feel like you can't be open, right? And not that you can't be open with the other friend, but just open in a different way. And there's an understanding there and there's, a, there's support. And I think that's really important too. And so I have people like that and, and it really helps to have the balance because I feel like sometimes all I'm talking about is 
my mental illness and it can get really, really tiresome. Sometimes you want to have that relaxing kind of freeing experience as well. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad our conversation went in this direction. It wasn't intentional, but I just think it's really important to constantly be talking about how we can do better, but also how we can better understand people who are experiencing things that we might not a hundred percent get and how we can be there for them. So I'm glad, I'm glad we're talking about this. And you also run a mood disorder support group and you do coaching for people with chronic mental illness and other health issues. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I kind of got involved with this because I was looking for a way to give back and to, to be honest, to do something. I mean, when I first came out of the hospital, I couldn't do anything. I was just, it was even hard to find two or three things to do, just small tasks, right? So I was looking around for things. I was really having trouble with getting work. And so I found this association in Vancouver, which is uh, called the Mood Disorders, sorry, the Mood Disorders Association of BC. And they run support groups all through British Columbia. And so I started one in my hometown, which is Powell River. And that was quite, you know, quite, uh, you know, it was, it was a validating thing for me to do. It felt like I was helping other folks out. And then recently we just started up a bipolar group, which is BC wide. And so I've been facilitating that one as well. And I don't know, it's just, it's, have you ever been part of a support group? I actually haven't, no. Okay. So again, like going back to the idea of going for a walk with your friend who's also going through a mental health condition, these are a bunch of folks that you sit down with and essentially you just share uh, your experiences, how things are going, what sort of things you come up against, whatever you know triumphs you've had over the last few weeks. And basically we all just listen. At the end, we do a little bit of what we call feedback, which is kind of misleading, but essentially what it is is just sort of using uh, what they said to, to talk about your own experiences and to relate to what they're saying. Um, and we, you know, we just do that. We do, it's all confidential. We close the door, lock it for the hour, and we just share with each other, and then we walk away. There's no real connection with them bef- you know, after that, uh, other than seeing them each week. And so, yeah, it's just really valuable because, again, people understand you. They know where you're coming from. Uh, it's a safe place. It's a place where you're not going to feel uh, any kind of sideways glances or stigmatization from other folks. And it, yeah, so I, I just really think it's important and it has been proven to be uh, very effective for recovery. So um, as far as facilitating it, I mean, it's peer-to-peer. So it's not like I'm, you know, I'm not doing anything that's, there's no hierarchy, right? It's just me volunteering to be the person that sort of leads the leads the direction yeah do you have any advice for how people can get involved with a support group either starting one or simply joining one in their area i know you're in canada and i'm in the states but it still might be relevant (laughs) yeah i think luck i've had pretty much is to google support groups and you know whether we want to be specific so let's say you were schizophrenic. So you put in schizophrenia support groups or even just mood disorder or, you know, depression, anxiety, mental health support group, however you want to narrow it down. And there's usually at least one in each, in each city or even town. Um, as far as getting involved with volunteering or facilitating, I think it's just a question of contacting the organization and seeing if there's any opportunities. Um, I would suggest going, going to a few first before you, want to launch into the the leading because it is there is more to it obviously um yeah but and then yeah there's a lot of ways to kind of get uh support that way the health coaching that you mentioned is 
just me doing training to coach people one-on-one on the phone. And again, I'm not there to give them advice or, or like private coaching would be, I'm not a counselor. I'm just there to help sort of speed them along on their recovery or things they want to work on. So it could even be something as simple as diet or, or um, exercise or, um, but I'm not really, I'm sort of enabling them to do it themselves, if that makes sense. Definitely. So what are some other things that you do in your health coaching? So like what might a call look like if you were coaching someone? Yeah, it's really a check-in with them, see how they're doing, and then basically ask them how they've been doing that week, what kind of things they've been working on, and then just guiding them through it. They, t- they talk to me about what they've been doing, and then they come up with ideas on things that they could change. It's, it's really self-directed, but you need to have someone there to be, you know, quote-unquote, the coach. And then, you know, later in the call, we talk about things they want to do the next week, and it's, it's very simple, but it's very uh, effective. And I've done it now with a few people. And by the end of the 12 week program, they're, they're pretty uh, confident about going forward on their own. Sometimes they do, they do a, an, another one with me, another eight weeks or whatever, but usually they're confident to go out on their own and kind of carry on with that routine. And so it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's like a wellness routine, um, but one that they kind of establish. And I'm the one that checks in and makes sure they've done the things they said they would do, I guess. I love that. I mean, we all need accountability <laughs> and, yeah. and support. So that's such a great way to do it. So you also have a podcast called Scream Therapy. What was the reason behind starting that podcast and what can we expect from it? Well, I've wanted to do one for a while. When I got home from the hospital, I was just out of it, you know, laying on the couch for days and days, like the, the sort of the idea of having like a head injury. And I jotted down in one of my notebooks, the word Scream Therapy. And then I wrote beside it, podcast and book. Um, and then I started thinking about podcasting and, but it took me a good two years. I just didn't have, my brain couldn't really wrap myself around it. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the knowledge. And so I got to the point about eight months ago where I felt like I could do it. And then it's just been out of the gates since then. Uh, it's a, it's a podcast about punk rock and mental health. So it's quite specific to really loud music and mental health. And so I believe I'm on episode 14 now and it's a you know variety of different folks in the in the punk scene talking about their experiences being in a band but dealing with their mental health issues and kind of balancing the two things uh, at the same time it's there's peaks into what I've been dealing with as well um, so it's it's kind of it's my way of doing something creative that I feel is also helping folks out um, I'm trying to make it you know, as entertaining as it can be, even though it's about heavy subjects. So yeah, it's been really fun. Okay. Before I let you go, I have to ask one more thing, which is you told me that you believe punk rock music saved your life. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, it's really interesting because I don't know how many times I've heard that on the podcast from other folks. I think the idea is that punk rock is a safe place for let's say weirdos. I consider myself a weirdo, right? I mentioned how I was doing weird things before and I've always been into different kinds of music and art. Um, So basically, you know, we all have to have a place in life. And for a lot of folks uh, in the punk scene, it's, it's, it's that scene. It's, it's being part of the, you know, the small basement shows and the, you know, the political messages that are in the music and the, you know, the, 
emotion of it and the release of it and the loud and all those things. So I think in my case, uh, it was a situation where I always had it as part of my life. You know, I kind of got into it quite early, like when I was maybe in grade four or five, I got into like metal and then maybe a couple years later into the punk stuff. And it was my place to go uh, where I could feel safe, like I said, and, and just feel like I belonged. And, you know, I, I always had this kind of, when I'm manic, I compare it to a hornet's nest in my head, right? So this constant buzz and activity. And then when I'm depressed, of course, you know, there's this heaviness. And so I always use music as a way to get away from that um, and to, you know, kind of, you would say even distract myself. But of course, later in life, I realized that it was my therapy and my way of feeling better and my way of uh, feeling like I had a place in the world. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for sharing all of your wisdom, your story, and everything else with us today. Jason, where else can we stay connected with you, listen to the podcast, come to your coaching, and keep up with you? Podcast is at soundcloud.com slash screen therapy. Um, you know, other than that, I don't really have much of a way to get a hold of me. I'm totally off social media. Uh, that was a problem for me. So I'm, I've been off that for a little while. Uh, as far as the coaching goes, uh, Mood Disorders Association of BC has a list of all the support groups in British Columbia. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm just doing my thing. I mean, the podcast is my main thing now. I'm also working on a book about the same topic with the same name. And that's going to be through a MFA program out of University of King's College. That's my thing for the next two years is writing a book. So I'm going to be busy. Well, we look forward to hearing about when that book comes out. You'll have to keep us posted so that we can share about it. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much, Jason, for coming on today. You're welcome, Katie, and thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Out To Be podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, rate and review it on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps us spread the message and get this podcast out to even more women in music. For more information on coaching services, head to katiezacardi.com. See you next week.